0: Bye. To all our first-time visitors, you are welcome. To connect with us, follow us on all our social media platforms. Facebook,
1: Instagram, and Twitter. For tithes and offerings,
0: please use the mobile money and account number on your screen. Covenant Nations Church, for the Kingdom and the
1: Good morning CNC family and all of our friends that are joining us from around the country and around the world. I want to welcome you all to our very special Easter Sunday service and pray that this time will be a blessing to you. I'm going to be sharing part two of our series called Jesus is Africa. So this is Jesus is Africa, part two. And on this Easter Sunday, I really feel that this is a new era message. And probably when we get to the end of it, you'll understand what I mean. I'm a child of the 1990s. I came of age in the 1990s. And like anyone who comes of age in a particular era or decade, you always feel that those were the best of times or the good old days. But the 1990s were truly uh, interesting times and I believe that some of the best music and the best movies that we have were made in that time. One of the great movies made in the 1990s that helped to awaken the political or black consciousness of that generation was a movie called Malcolm X played by Denzel Washington. A role he played um, to critical acclaim, he did it very well. And many young people, especially many Africans and people of African descent, African Americans, identified or were impacted by that movie. So I really enjoyed it. But I only had one problem with the movie or with the film. It depicted a time of great revelation in his life. Many of you know the story of Malcolm X. He was one of the civil rights leaders in the 1960s in America. And he converted to Islam after being imprisoned in the very unjust system in the South at that time. And when he was in prison, he received a revelation or an epiphany, or that's what the movie shows, about his life and he eventually, as a result, converted to Islam and started following the teachings of the Nation of Islam under the leader at that time who was called Elijah Muhammad. Today, the Nation of Islam is led by the current leader is uh, Louis Farrakhan. But in the movie, it depicted Islam as a natural choice for an African-American because of the unity and uh, acceptance and universal brotherhood that Islam gave to its followers. Christianity was depicted as something to be rejected as the religion of the oppressor. One part in the movie that was actually quite funny was where Malcolm X gets into an argument with a chaplain in prison who tries to convince him that Jesus Christ was, of course, white, with blonde hair and blue eyes, and he actually showed him a picture saying, of course, Jesus was, was white, and, and he looked in a certain way. That posed a dilemma for me. As much as I agreed with the premise of the movie and many of the writings and teachings of um, uh, Malcolm X and other civil rights leaders and the Black Consciousness Movement, I fundamentally disagreed with the view or the opinion that there is a natural religion for Africans, or that Christianity represented the religion of the oppressors and thus must be rejected wholesale. To be clear, there has been great evil perpetrated in the name of Christianity and of and of God, from the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition to slavery and even colonialism. So I'm not discounting the fact that there's been great evil done in the name of Christianity and in the name of God. Jesus even prophesied in the Bible that people will kill others in the name of God and in killing others they will think that they are fulfilling God's will. So the great failures of religious people, and I say religious people in quote, in the name of God does not replace the foundation of our faith which is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion per se, it is a kingdom and the state or being or the people in that kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't come to bring a religion to us, he came to bring us into a right relationship with God. And when he came preaching, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come, has come, has come near to you. So he didn't come to, to bring a religion, he came to bring a kingdom and to make us sons and daughters, to give us access into this kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of, 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 of the Son of God, and to make us sons. And daughters of god the bible says behold what manner of love the father has given to us that we should be called the sons of god so that's why jesus came to give us he came to 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 give us a right relationship and the state in that kingdom or the the natural state of being is righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost therefore if people are practicing unrighteousness if they're and jesus said you will know them by their fruits so it's not by what they say, what their name is, what their culture is, how they dress, what language they speak, you know, all these, cult- these things that we associate with Christianity, with what we call cultural Christianity. But rather, what are their fruits? Is it righteousness? Is it peace? Is it joy? Therefore, if people are practicing unrighteousness, they are not part of the kingdom, that kingdom that Jesus came to, to bring. And they are not doing the will of God, no matter what religion they claim to follow. The question whether Africans should reject a relationship with Jesus because Christianity is a religion of the oppressor that came with the colonizers or the missionaries or the slave traders, is one that we can only answer from looking at the Bible and looking at what the Bible says. Because many people have, op- you know, different opinions. Even the the generation that uh, was liberating Africa in the nin- from colonialism, the independence generation in the 19th. Fifties and sixties, some of some of some of those great leaders had that same opinion and same point of view that since Christianity, quote unquote, was the religion of um, the Western countries that had colonized Africa, therefore it was the religion of the oppressors and should be rejected as such. And so you'll find people either going, turning to animism or you know witchcraft or what they think is their cultural heritage, or Islam, or anything, because Christianity represents to them the religion of the oppressor. But I want to, to look to the Bible to answer this question, because I believe that the Bible is, is our foundation, and the Bible is our final authority. So I want you to hear from what the Bible says, and not simply my opinion. And I'm going to be sharing from the New Testament this Sunday. Last Sunday, we were looking at the Old Testament, and this Sunday, we're going to be looking at the New Testament. What does the Bible have to say about what, what, what is Africa's role or, or how, how is Africa depicted or shown in the New Testament? Did Christianity and a faith in Jesus Christ come through the missionaries and through colonizers and through the people who came to Africa with a different agenda? And I'm going to start looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 20. And this is the story of the birth of Jesus. So this is the first time we see Africa in the New Testament. It's very early on in the book of Matthew chapter two. This is after Jesus is born in Bethlehem and God sends a word to Joseph and Mary, to Joseph in particular through a dream, to get up and leave Bethlehem or Israel and take Jesus and Mary to a safe place. So, so the, the, the word says, get up, Take unto you the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you otherwise. For Herod intends to search for the child in order to destroy him. And having risen, he took the child and his mother by night, and withdrew to Egypt, and he remained there until Herod's death. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet uh, in the book of Hosea, saying, Out of Egypt, or out of Africa, I have called my son. So you see that Jesus' life at his most vulnerable stage, his, he probably was between the ages of two and, and, and five at this stage, Jesus' life was preserved. What the, what the, what the dream or the, what, the, what the Lord said was, get up and flee. Can you imagine the Son of God fleeing, running for his life or running for security? But that's exactly what happened. Jesus and his parents fled Israel, and they found safety, and they found refuge, and they found sustenance and shelter in Africa. Jesus, the Son of God, in his time of vulnerability, found a safe haven in Africa. Therefore, Africa partnered with the greatest will and purpose of God on earth that was being worked out through Jesus. The salvation of the world hung in the balance but God's purposes provided, prevailed, sorry, through Africa, partnering with God's redemptive plan. So at this most vulnerable stage in the life of Jesus and, the, and, and through him, the redemptive purpose of the world, which was salvation, God was bringing salvation to the world through this baby. And at this most vulnerable stage, God chose a place where he could find refuge. This just means that, and we're going to see through uh, other scriptures, that Africa's role has been to partner with God's redemptive plan and at critical times as I'm going to show you through the 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 scriptures we're going to look at you're going to see that at critical times Africa comes to the forefront to play that redemptive purpose so we see that the, the, the first place we see Africa in the New Testament is in the life of Jesus and in the life of Jesus at his most vulnerable time. So the family stays in Egypt until King Herod, who posed great danger to the baby Jesus, dies, and now the family relocates to Israel. But Jesus was preserved, he found shelter, he found refuge, he found sustenance in Africa. The second thing, at another stage in in the life of Jesus, we're seeing the, the, the role of Africa, and through that, the redemptive purpose of Africa in the New Testament. The second time, that you see africa coming to the forefront is at another critical stage in the life and ministry and purpose of jesus on earth if you look at luke chapter 23 verse 26 here jesus is at the the final and and most important that his purpose on earth was to come to die his whole purpose of coming to earth was to die was to be a sacrifice was to be the lamb of god that's what that's what we celebrate uh, on good friday and and, and easter and passover that Jesus was that perfect lamb of God the lamb that God had chosen so when he is fulfilling his the purpose that he came to fulfill at the cross i'm going to look at luke chapter 26 23 verse 26 so here jesus is on his way to the cross he has already been Judged, He has already, you know, been flogged and and, and beaten. And he's gone through these different stages. First with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests who who, who judge him and sentence him. And then he's sent to Pilate who also uh, sentences him. And then he's beaten. And now he's on the way to the place of, of crucifixion. Verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, laid on him the cross and made him carry it behind Jesus. So Jesus was on his way to the cross and every person who was being crucified, executed, was supposed to carry his own cross. But Jesus had been so badly flogged and so badly beaten and so badly whipped that he was so weakened and already probably Ah. at the point of death from from the whipping and from the beating that he could not carry his cross all the way. The other two um, the, the, the other two people who are being executed or crucified that same day had not gone through that same treatment as Jesus had. And so they were, you know, fairly strong and they were carrying their own crosses. But Jesus had already gone through so much before the crucifixion that he did not have the strength to carry the cross all the way to golgotha all the way to the place of, of, of the crucifixion now imagine this all of jesus's life has been bringing him to this point this is what he was born to do he was born to be the sacrificial lamb the lamb of god and all his ministry all that he has done on earth has brought him to this point this is the reason that he he came but he has a way to go to get him to the cross the place of his destiny and his purpose. And he couldn't get there himself. He couldn't carry the cross himself. He didn't have the strength to carry the cross himself. And so they have a dilemma. Who is going to carry the cross? Who is going to help him to carry the cross? Who is going to help him to get to that place of purpose or fulfillment? All of history is hanging on that one decision. So they look around, the the Romans who are uh, uh, leading and, and, and in charge of this process or execution, look around, and there are a number of people, different groups, that are following on the way to the cross. Of course, there are, there are women, and there are people who are following Jesus and, and, and weeping and, and mourning, but those couldn't carry the cross. There were religious people, there were Pharisees and Sadducees, who were looking on with disdain and um, uh, gloating with pride and and just so excited and relishing this Final victory that they had over this preacher prophet, who had be- had been such a uh, a problem for them. But the Pharisees and Sadducees were marked by the religious spirit. The religious spirit is one of the most deadly strongholds. It was response that spirit was responsible for the killing of Jesus. The religious spirit is so dangerous because it it cloaks itself in religiosity with uh, you know serving God but it is actually completely anti-God and completely opposed to the will and purpose of God. And it magnifies man, man's will, man's purpose, man's desires above God. So the Pharisees had a religious spirit and they would never, never help to carry the cross. So the second group that is there was was the Romans. Now, what would be almost, what would be the most practical thing uh, if you have a group of of soldiers that are leading a a prisoner, you would probably choose one of the soldiers, one of the the soldiers of your party or your team, who were uh, enough in number, and who were around the the prisoners or around those who were going to be crucified to carry the cross. It was a simple thing. Why, Why wouldn't they have chosen one of the soldiers, one of the Roman soldiers? But the Romans were part of a system, the Roman Empire, which was marked by pride, arrogance, and complete disdain. They despised the Jews, and no able-bodied or uh, Roman in their right mind would ever carry the cross for a Jew. Crucifixion was the lowest kind of punishment. It was the worst kind of punishment. It was the one reserved for the, the lowest of the law. Romans uh, Roman citizens were not subjected to that kind of of, cru- of death. Even if they were being punished, even if they were being executed for for crimes, they were not crucified. So crucifixion was something that was looked upon, uh, really, with a lot of of, of the, with disdain. With it was looked down upon. So no Roman would help to carry the cross. The cross was something that was seen as a a symbol of of, of great um, shame. It was something to be despised. So no Roman was going to carry the cross. So I can imagine this, um, the the leader of the, the, the soldiers who was leading this group of of, of of people who are going to be crucified, looking around. And suddenly, his eyes land on on, on, on on this Simon the Cyrene or Simon the African because Cyrene or Cyrenia, I think, or Cyrenica was in Northern Africa or what we call Libya today, just west of of Egypt and he had come to Jerusalem to worship because in in, in the book of Mark chapter 15 you actually they actually mention the name of of his two sons so Simon of 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 Cyrene or Simon the African was probably Someone who had converted to Judaism, he he was worshipping the God of Israel, and he had come to Jerusalem at the time of Passover to worship. And the crucifixion of Jesus was something that caused great uproar in the city. A week before he had come in triumphantly, probably, this Simon the of Cyrene had come a few days before Passover and had heard about this great... Uh, prophet, this great man of God, and, and and how he was welcomed in the city and how he did great wonders and miracles. And then suddenly, this prophet is being crucified. And so he was there. There were many people, I'm sure, who are watching this spectacle with with um, with wonderment. What what does this mean? And So Simon the Cyrene, or Simon the, the man from Africa, was there. And the eyes of the Roman soldier land on him. And they pick him, or they seize him and say, you carry the cross. And so he does. I believe that the person who carries the cross of Jesus, the remainder of the way to the place of crucifixion, is not only partnering with God's redemptive plan, the plan of salvation of the world, but is someone who is uniquely positioned. I don't think that God just chose anybody. Everything in the Bible, everything, if you look at the life of Jesus from his birth until his, his um, resurrection and ascension. Things there, there was nothing that was just happenstance. Everything was was orchestrated. And so even the choice of this was divinely orchestrated. And so even the choice of who is the, the one who is going to carry the, the cross, I believe that that was divinely appointed. Africa helped to carry the cross to fulfill the purpose of God for the salvation of mankind, of the world. Now, after Jesus' death, and his resurrection the bible says that he appeared to many other people apart from the disciples now in my own mind this is not written anywhere in, in in the scriptures but i believe that the part of the many people probably that he appeared to simon of cyrene must have been one of them i can imagine jesus appearing to simon of cyrene and what would their exchange be what would their words be what would jesus say to him what kind of unique relationship or exchange takes place between somebody who has helped you at your most, um, the darkest time or point in your life, but also at the point of your of fulfilling your destiny. So I believe that, and this is my own personal opinion, it's not from not anywhere that is written in the Bible, that I believe that Jesus must have appeared. Simon of Cyrene after his resurrection. So we see these two important times and these two very, very critical times in the life of Jesus and his fulfillment of his destiny on earth, which was salvation, the salvation of mankind at his birth, when he was a child, when he was most vulnerable, at at his death, at his crucifixion, when he needed help to carry the cross. Moving on from there, we're going to uh, look at Acts chapter 8. Now, this is after the ascension of Jesus. The church, this is the now, the beginning of the, the church age. After the day of Pentecost, the church age begins, the age of grace that we are living in. After the coming of the Holy Spirit and um, the church is, is growing rapidly, the, the gospel is being preached. The gospel has been preached in in Jerusalem. The gospel has been preached in a number of the towns and cities around Jerusalem, even uh, Samaria. But the gospel hasn't gone out to what is known as the Gentile world, the Gentiles or the Greeks or whatever you you want to call them. So before that happens, there is something in the book of Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 26. Verse 26, this is talking about Philip. Philip was one of the deacons of the early church. But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and proceed southward at midday on the road that runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This is the desert route. So he got up and went, and behold, an Ethiopian. Now an Ethiopian, any way you want to... You see, the word Africa did not exist at that time. Africa is a word that um, came into use much later. So when you see these different words, it's they're, they're all m- meaning the same thing today. But at that time, the word Africa was not in use. But an Ethiopian is an African, and behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was now returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. So first of all, an African at the time of the New Testament church is going up to Jerusalem to worship and he is reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. So that goes completely, uh, flies in the face of this um, idea that the first time Africans have ever heard the gospel or ever heard about the Bible or ever heard about anything to do with Jesus Christ and anything to do with faith in God and is with the coming of the missionaries. This This is almost immediately after Pentecost, after the ascension, this is very, very early church history. So you see that that completely flies in the face of this um, commentary or this this idea that the gospel arrived first in Africa, recently in, in modern uh, day history with the, with the coming of the missionaries and, and uh, the colonizers. So this African official eunuch who is, in a, who is um, has great authority under the queen of Ethiopia, he is sitting in his chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. Then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go forward and join yourself to his chariot accordingly Philip running up to him heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and asked do you really understand what you are reading and he said how is it possible for me to do so unless someone explains to me and guides me in the right way and he earnestly requested Philip to come up and sit beside him now this was the passage of scripture which he was reading like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, he was taken away by distressing and oppressive judgment and justice. Who can describe or relate the wickedness of his generation? For his life is taken from the earth and a bloody death inflicted upon him. Now, he's reading about the crucifixion of Jesus, which has only recently taken place. And the eunuch said to Philip, I beg of you, tell me, who." Is the prophet talking about is he talking about himself or someone else then philip opened his mouth and beginning with this portion of scripture he announced to him the good news or the gospel of Jesus and about him. So here you have it: the gospel is being preached to an African leader soon after Pentecost. This is in the early church. Therefore, the gospel came to Africa very, very, very early. It actually came to Africa even before before it was preached to the house of Cornelius, which represents the Gentiles or so the beginning of the the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Amen. Verse verse 36 as they continued along the way they came to some water and the eunuch explained see here is water what is to hinder my being baptized philip said if you believe with all your heart that jesus is the messiah and accept him as the author of your salvation in the kingdom of god giving him your obedience then you may and he replied i do believe that jesus christ is the son of god that is the first African convert. He says I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So this Ethiopian, this African receives Jesus, receives Christ. When in the times of the early church, before the gospel goes out to the to the house of Cornelius before the Gentiles, the gospel goes out and is preached to this African and he receives Jesus Christ. And he ordered that the chariot be stopped and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel, the gospel coming to Africa, came through the mouth of a fellow African for the first time. The gospel coming into, um, and I believe this is the beginning of the Coptic church, and there are many other Traditions that speak about Mark, uh, the, the, the disciple Mark, who uh, was of that same stock, bringing the gospel into Egypt and, and, and Libya, and then going down to Ethiopia. But you see that the gospel came first through an African who had been preached to by Philip the Deacon. I want to move on because there's uh, the idea that, 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 the, that the preaching of the gospel first came through the missionaries. Acts chapter three, Ab, Acts chapter 13, verse one to three, Acts chapter 13, verse one to three. Now, if we were to ask who was the greatest missionary apostle of, 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 of all time? we would say I'm sure everyone would agree that the apostle Paul was the greatest uh, missionary apostle he's the one who went out all the other uh, apostles remained in Jerusalem and only ventured out briefly and returned they remained in Jerusalem their call was to the house of Israel Paul was the apostle that was called to the Gentiles called to the to the world and so he went very very far in his missionary journeys as far as um, uh, what was called Asia Minor at that time he went to Europe to Rome. He went very, very far in the world that was known at that time. So Paul was a great missionary. Now, when you think about missionaries, you always think about who sends out the missionaries. So who sent Paul? Who sent Paul out? Who commissioned Paul out? Who was the one who laid hands on Paul? Who was the one who who said, go out? I want to read from verse 1. This is Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church assembly at Antioch, there were prophets inspired interpreters of the will and purposes of god and teachers so they're saying who are these people these are prophets they these are teachers we have barnabas we have simeon who was called niger niger means black we have lucius of cyrene again you see cyrene here it's the same name for simon of cyrene this is libya or africa Manean, a member of the court of herod and tetrach the tetrach and saul while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Separate now from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and prayer, they put their hands on them and sent them. So, there is very clear, it's all laid out there, it's all, you know, clearly articulated in the church in Antioch. This is uh, the place where believers were first called Christians. The place where believers were first called Christians in Antioch, there were prophets. And two out of the five, Simeon, who was called Niger or black, so he was an African. Niger, you have countries out of that word black, you have Nigeria, you have Niger in West Africa. So these all mean black people. So there's no, it shouldn't be confused, all it means, these were African people. Lucius of Cyrene these were teachers and prophets in the church where in Antioch so this whole idea that the first time that the gospel comes to to Africa is through the missionaries which is very recent the turn of the century the 20th century or 19th 20th century it is not true it is not true they were worshiping God they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting And the Holy Spirit says to them, Separate now from me Barnabas and Saul. Now Barnabas and Saul, we know so much about. Barnabas and Saul is Barnabas and Paul. We know so much about them. We know about their journey. We know about Paul and Silas. But who who sent them out? Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. There you have it in the word. The people, two of the people who sent out the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary apostle of our time were two African believers, leaders, prophets, teachers in the church in Antioch. What does that mean? A couple of years ago, the Lord gave me a word saying that one of the redemptive gifts or purposes of Africa is to send out missionaries and this is the scripture that he gave me he showed me that the greatest missionary of our time Paul, who wrote almost two thirds of the New Testament, was sent out by two African believers two African leaders in the church they laid hands on him, they commissioned him they prayed for him, they heard from the Holy Spirit and said this is the one who is going to be a missionary and we're going to send him out. Therefore, one of the redemptive gifts of Africa as, as a continent and, and Africans as people is to to be missionaries, to send out missionaries. Now you see what I was uh, saying uh, in the last Sunday is that the enemy always seeks to to pervert. He never creates anything, but he seeks to pervert. And so, this 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 idea um, that has come down through the, the years that the gospel came through the missionaries, and therefore the gospel is always uh, the word is always preached to Africans, but they never go out, they never preach to other people. And yet today, you will see that the anointing to preach the gospel and send out missionaries is very very strong on. African people and people that go out from Africa. If you look at the largest churches in the world today, whether in Europe or, you know, Anywhere around the world, you'll find that they are led by African people. So there's a special grace and there's a special anointing. If you look at the church in Ukraine, it's led by a Nigerian. If you look at the churches in, in the in the UK, they are led by um, people of African origin, Africans. If you look at the church in, in the world, globally, you'll see that there is a, a, an explosion of, of the gospel being preached by Africans. Why? Is that a recent thing? Is that a, uh, just a... I believe that it is a, an alignment with God's redemptive purpose. That that's something that has always been there. That's something that um, is is deeply embedded. It is it is our spiritual heritage. But peop- that but it's only now that we are beginning to align with that destiny and when you see what the anointing and the grace of God on these ministries and on these churches and you see that it is the hand of God it is the, the grace of God it is the empowerment of God so I believe that we're going to see much more of this in, this in this new era this time that we're living in you're going to see Africa begin to send out more and more missionaries to the world because the world needs to hear that gospel and God has kept the, the word of God in Africa and this is the time to begin to release it into the world. Amen. Finally, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to just look at finally the restoration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to qualify all of my comments in this message. I'm not saying that the missionaries didn't preach the gospel in Africa. The missionaries didn't do a a, a great work, whether it was in education or in establishing hospitals and schools and no, I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. The missionaries were used of God in Africa to restore or to, to, to bring back. Because what you see in in the history of the church or in the history of the church through the, the ages is that sometimes what has already been given, what has already been poured out, such as the Holy Spirit, can be lost and that there has to be a restoration. And That's what we're going to be looking at last so I believe that the gospel came into Africa first through the, um, the Coptic church and the, the, what became the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. But religion always has a way of stifling the, the kingdom. So when people become religious as the orthodox church in ethiopia some of parts of the coptic church religion has a way of stifling the holy spirit and therefore what was supposed to be the mandate that was given to those streams and and, and that move of god uh was limited and was not able to do i believe in my opinion the full work of evangelism in 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 the african continent and so there was another wave, a second wave, which was the coming of the missionaries. And, and and from that time, there has been, you know, waves and waves of revival. We have the East African, uh, the Great East African Revival. And we've had other waves of, of, of revival and moves of God and, you know, up until uh, present day. But I'm not uh, negating the work of the missionaries, but I'm, all I'm trying to show you from the word of God is that it was not the missionaries that who first brought the gospel. To Africa it was actually Africans who brought the gospel to Africa because they had been preached to and they were part of they were already part of the early church the new testament church the church that Paul was in the church that Philip was in that the new testament church that we read about in the book of Acts they were Africans part of that church and they were the first people to come and preach the gospel in Africa so we're going to talk about the restoration of the Holy Spirit Pentecost was the beginning, the birth of the church came with the, the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit, the promise that Jesus said, stay and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise. But over the years and the centuries that, that followed, the the holy spirit the gift of the holy spirit was 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 lost or i believe was quenched and the bible talks about do not quench the spirit so it is possible to quench or to put out the spirit the the fire of the holy spirit and yet the work of, of of ministry of the gospel cannot be done without the holy spirit and so what you get is is a is religion and you'll find that religion is not able to it does not have life, it's dead it's dead, dead dead works so the Holy Spirit needed to be God had to reintroduce the Holy Spirit or restore the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, to the world to the, to, the, to the body of Christ and to do this, what is interesting is that he, the person that he chose and I always look at who is it that you... Who, God always looks for a man. He looks for somebody to to use. And the person that he chose to to begin to restore the gift of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ was a child of a son of former slaves. He was a man called William Seymour. He was born in 1870 in the south of, of the United States. He was a son of, of freed slaves. He was a young man, who didn't have any formal training he didn't have any formal education he learned how to read by reading the bible he was searching for god he was always searching for god he was, he used to have dreams and visions um he was someone who was uh, very sensitive to the holy spirit and he, his whole life was was on this mission and, and search for god and god revealed himself in a powerful powerful way through this very very humble man the baptism of the Holy Spirit was restored to the body of Christ through the revival on Azusa Street in Los Angeles that was led by William Seymour. William Seymour moved, he was invited to come and, and lead this small uh, church in Los Angeles. And as they kept on seeking God and praying and, and waiting on the, the move of God, God God restored the, the gift of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, great, great testimonies great amazing testimonies if you hear the testimonies out of the azusa street revival there some of them are just um out of this world miracles signs and wonders the book of acts you know coming to life again reliving the book of acts that those are the kind of things that you see out of the azusa street revival william seymour was a very humble man who lived a life that was completely surrendered to god and through him the Holy Spirit was restored to the body of Christ. So if you are a believer who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to, to look back and thank an ex-slave or the son of former slaves called William Seymour. Because of his surrendered life, because of his search for God, his quest for God, God restored to the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a a, a great spiritual heritage? Therefore, I believe that the role or the redemptive purpose of Africa. So we see from all the scriptures that we've uh, gone through and all the different um, aspects that we've looked at, we see that from the Bible, from the New Testament, the redemptive purpose. One of the redemptive purposes of Africa is to partner with the purposes of God in in the world, in the, in, the, in the nations. To partner with what God is doing, we see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in His death and His His crucifixion. We also see it in the New Testament church, the preaching of the gospel, the sending out of missionaries, and in the restoration of the holy spirit that is the spiritual heritage of of africa and africans in the next uh, week we're going to talk about more about what the lord is doing in 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 africa today or what we feel the lord is speaking to, uh, to to africa today but i felt that we needed to to first get a clear picture of what is our spiritual heritage what is our identity because there's so many there's so much um, covering up or diminishing of truth or seeking to to, to, to skew the, 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 the picture. So my prayer is that through this message and through the sharing of the word, because the word of God is very clear, that we can see, we can begin to see clearly our spiritual heritage and our spiritual identity. Because I believe that the Lord is is, is calling the church in Africa to, to awaken, to reawaken to our spiritual heritage, our spiritual identity, because God needs Africa in this time. God needs Africa to arise in this time. God needs Africa to take her place in this time, in the kingdom, her place in the kingdom, her place in, in, in God's end time plan. We're living in, in the end times and God, there's a role that God has for Africa to play. So my prayer is that through this, that there can be a, 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 a revelation and an awakening and an opening of our eyes to know, first of all, who we are, where we come from spiritually, what is our spiritual heritage. And, thus, and, and from that, from knowing where we have come from, to know where we're going what does the lord want us to do today amen i'm going to pray into what we have shared pray into what has been revealed to us through the word of god heavenly father we want to thank you so much for your word we want to thank you lord that the entrance of your word brings light or it brings revelation and my prayer is that as we've shared this word today that it brings revelation into the lives of everybody that is listening. Father, I thank you that you gave Africa and Africans a unique spiritual heritage, a unique a unique place to partner with what you are doing in the earth, to partner in the life of, of your son in his ministry and in his destiny on earth. And that even today, you have a unique purpose for Africa to play. So, Father, we want to ask that you shine your light to awaken the church in Africa that has been slumbering or awaken the church to the spiritual heritage that you have already given to us. We ask that you take away spiritual blindness and awaken and reconnect us to our heritage and our redemptive purpose, that you have called us to be front and center in your redemptive plan in Africa and in the nations. Father, we pray that you will restore to us your identity to know our place in your end time plan. Father, we ask that you will empower the church in Africa to preach the gospel because that's what you have called us to, to preach the gospel in our own nations and to preach the gospel in the nations of the world. May you empower us To send out missionaries to the world because that is part of our calling father may you empower us to pray for revival in our own nations and to see the move of god and the holy spirit in the nations of the world that is what you have called us to father that is our inheritance today lord we are praying for a resurrection of africa's deep identity and spiritual heritage in christ and we're asking that the truth of who and what you have created us to be will never again be covered never again be diminished never again be forgotten heavenly Father, i'm praying that in this time lord you will connect us to our heritage to our past so that you can connect us to our future and our destiny In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
0: Since my king loves me, I will give everything. But he loved me first. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I request us to get up on our feet?